as you guys make your way there, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to chapter, uh, the book of Luke chapter 8. Book of Luke. of Luke chapter 8. As you guys turn there, I just wanted to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would just help me to speak. God, that you would just give words, that you would speak louder than my own voice. God, that your spirit would move in this place, that you would give under living understanding. God, that we would grow, that we would hear, that we would our faith would be strengthened even tonight, Jesus. God, that you would have your way in this, this time that we have together. And we ask that you would be with those who are in need of healing right now, God, those who are traveling. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 8, I want to uh, just share with you guys this for a subject tonight called Faith for Awakening. Faith for an Awakening. And I want to look at, this is a familiar, probably a familiar uh passage to many, but I want to dive into some things this, this evening that I feel like can be very helpful, and I think there's something that we can all pull out of this. I pr- I'm praying that the Lord would just, just use these next few moments just to speak to us, as I said, as we prayed. But I want to turn your attention to chapter 8 of Luke, uh, verse 40. And it says, it says in, at the beginning, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitudes welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was was dying. So I want to pause right there for a moment. So this account is actually, uh, it's also recorded in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 5. And you can look at the different accounts to kind of put them all together. But from right from the beginning, I believe what we're, the subject really what I want to look at, like I said, is this idea that how our issues, every, everyone say issues. <laughs> Who in here has issues? If you've had issues, if you don't want to admit it, it's okay, but we have issues. And I want to just give you guys faith and just encouragement tonight because I believe with all my heart and just through my own life and through the Bible, I believe our issues God can take our issues and use them to lead us to a crossroad moment that really have the potential to produce the kind of faith that God is after in our life. That our issues are actually what God can use in our life. And if if we can reject it or not, but God can use an issue in your life and he can say, you can use that issue to propel you into a life of faith that God is after. He, the Bible says that our faith is something that is proven over time. It's proven genuine. It's tested as though by fire. That it's something that it's living. It's not something that we just, you arrive with and you just have all, uh, perfectly for the rest of your days. No, it's something that you, you learn and you grow in. And you, it's something that is built and you, it's a process of growing and living by faith. But I believe there are, there are moments in our life whether they be high points or low points or in-between points, there are moments, I call them, mo- just moments in your life where you have the potential. God, God, I believe they're gifts of God even, even in the difficult times, for us to, to get our attention, to turn our lives, to, get, to reach our life in a, in a way that's, to have a faith that actually reaches past what we're used to, a faith that overcomes our fear of public opinion, 
a faith that overcomes our, our, our unwillingness to let go of personal comfort, a faith that, that breaks all the social protocols and it, it overcomes our private struggles to grab hold of true transformation and resurrection life that can be found only in Jesus, only in Christ. So your, your faith, again, what we see at the beginning of this story is a man named Jairus. He's a ruler, as, as we understand from the passage here. He's a ruler of a synagogue, a local synagogue. He's a, he's, he's, he has influence in society. He has a reputation, I'm sure, that he has to uphold a Jew, of, of Jewish importance. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, none of that seemed to matter over the life of his daughter. Like, he, before he was a ruler, he, he realized he was a father. And I believe that's an important thing that for, for many of us, especially young men and, and, and even as women as well in here, that we have to realize that before you, are, before you are this or that, before you are a businessman, before you are a, a teacher, before you are this, uh, whatever you want to title yourself in the world today, before you are any of those things, God has marked you to be, a, a, first off, a son and a daughter in his house, and his family, but also a father to the, or, a, or a mother to the next generation. As we, we really talked about that last week, this, this, con- this idea of turning our hearts to our children. I would rather, <laughs> again, at the end of the day, I, I don't want to sacrifice my children, as I said last week, at the altar of my own personal vocation and my own personal pursuits. I'm, before I'm a pastor, before I'm a minister, before I'm anything that this world wants to title me as, I'm a father to my children. And, I, and, I, and we looked at that more in detail last week. But I believe J. Iris, there was this moment of crisis in his life right here where his daughter, his only daughter, as it notes, is, is dying. And, again, I, I'm, I'm, my heart is broken for, for tragedies that I hear going on around me. I feel like every day you can read or see a tragic situation going on in the world. Every day. But when it hits home to you, when it's your family, when it's your daughter, when it gets inside your own household, when it gets personal to you, there's something about all the, you throw all the protocols out the window. Pastor has been touching on the subject in the past recent weeks about desperation, about being desperate. About get, there's something about being at that place of desperation where God is able to, t- to get past the barriers that we build in front of us, to get behind those walls that we put up. There's something about desperation that we're, pride just gets thrown out the window. J. Iris, he's a ruler. He's a man of reputation. And it says it, uh, in verse 41, it says that he ran and fell down at the feet of Jesus and begged him to come to his house. It says that he begged him to come, to come to his house. His faith was desperate, humble, and unashamed, willing to bring Jesus into his own house. This is, this is, this is, what, this is what this kind of faith, this is what this kind of issue produce, produces. Jairus' issue was that his daughter was dying. And it produced an opportunity for him to, he could have, he, he heard, I'm sure he heard the testimonies. Jesus has been going around doing these great miracles. He's heard, the, he's heard it all. And he could have, like many of the other Jewish nobles of the time, turned aside and been critical and been uh, pious about it and unwilling. But I believe for Jairus, is, you know, we see Jairus goes the other way. Jairus, because again, you can have, I'll say it like this, don't waste a good trial in your life. <laughs> 
sounds kind of silly. Don't waste a good trial that comes through your life. Your, your trial, because you can go through a trial in life, and you can, you can, man, and you're in that trial, all of a sudden you're tender before God. All of a sudden you're, you're open to his, his, his word. You're open to his voice. But then things start to settle down again in your life, and all of a sudden you're not tender anymore. You don't, you're not open to his voice. You're not sensitive. You're not, you're not willing to do the things that you're willing to do when you, when you were in that season of struggle and trial. Why does it have to be? Why, why, and I see, I've seen this pattern in my own life. I don't want to have to wait for a trial or a struggle to, to, to be tender before the Lord, to be open, to be willing to have a desperate faith. I want to have a desperate faith and a, and a hungry faith and a humble faith and an unashamed faith like Jairus had, even, even if my daughter's not dying, even if this is not a tragic issue in my life. That's, I believe, um, Jairus is this model of this, this, this one who's willing to set aside all these different, all these different hindrances. He could have, again, he could have been like many of the other nobles of his time, many, other, many of the other Jewish leaders. But he invites Jesus to his house. And I don't know if any of you growing up, who in here growing up, if you, if you remember any time in your life when, you, I don't know what, what situation you grew up in, but if, Around my house, when we knew, when my mom knew that we were having company coming over, when she knew someone was coming over, like, it was, it was like military style in our house. Like, we had the, she brought out, okay, you're doing this, you're doing this. You're, I'm oldest of five, and, and we're all pretty close in age. And so, like, my mom, like, we can make a mess. Like, we, our house was always a mess. And, but, when my, but my mom, she was like, I don't know, understand, as a parent, Nowadays, I'm like, how did she keep our house clean? Like, how did she, because like, we obviously didn't do much help. But she always, she made, our laundry was folded, like, all this stuff. She was like, she's a saint. She was a warrior in that regard. But I know, but when people were coming over, for instance, it was like the next gear. Like, you had to, you had to like, like, I would always complain, Mom, why do we have to put on the fake house? Like, Mom, why, <laughs> It's just going to be messy the next day. Why do we have to put on the fake house? They don't, they don't care. You got to make sure there's nothing, you know. She didn't yell like that. Probably she did. She did yell. She raised her voice. Italian family, guys. Very vocal. But I would always complain, why do we have to put on this, this get everything all nice for the, for the company coming over? And it was, it was just, you know, part of having a, a certain amount of pride in, you know, the way your house looked. You know, it's even to this day. I mean, you don't, who in here likes people coming over when you, your house is a mess? I mean, you, you want to, you want it, you're like, I mean, some people don't care, but, you know, most people are like, wait a minute, I got to wait. Let me know when you're coming over so I can, you know, shove everything under the rug and all that stuff. I think, here's the thing, though, is I think Jairus, here's what happens. His faith was so desperate at this moment in his life, at this, in this place, that it didn't matter what his house looked, what looked like. He just needed to know that he needed Jesus in it. It didn't matter. And some of us, some of us are so at the, we're not, we haven't yet been at that place, or maybe we used to be at that place, but we're not at it right now. At that place of where we're, we don't, we're, it doesn't matter what our house looks like. Some of us think that we have to make our, our house has to be perfectly in order in order for Jesus to come inside. 
but that we always, we have to have it a certain way, that it has to appear a certain way to, to fit certain protocols and standards for Jesus to arrive in your house, to come over. But the, the, it, here's the thing about Christianity. I, I'll make it very simple for us to help understand. But if you want to say, well, why choose Christianity over every other religion in the world? I want to give you something that's, that's always set apart, that stood out to me about following Jesus. It's that in, in Christianity, every other religion that I've, that I've encountered, it's always about how, like, I have to get my house ready to, to, go, to, to, to be worthy enough to achieve, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever religion it is, you know, a state of, of, of heaven, a state of peace, or whatever it is. It's all about us getting to a certain place or becoming a certain way so that we could get to God or the gods or whatever faith system is out there. Christianity, by, its, by what I understand, is the only religion, only faith system out there, only belief system out there that says it's not you get, yourself, get your house ready for, God, for you to get to God. It's God comes to you while you're still dirty, while you're still a mess, while you're still broken. By his grace, by, his, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's going to make you righteous. That's, it's, it's opposite. It doesn't make sense. You, you go to, if you go to Mormonism, if you go to uh, Islam, you got all these major religions out there, all these different systems of, of thought and belief out there. It always ends up being this way of, it, it's, it's humanity realizing we're in a hole called sin. And the only way, there, there's all these other alternative ways that try, to, to try to figure out how to get out of the hole. It's, it's, do I pray five times a day to the east to get out of this hole? Do I have to, you know, comb my hair a certain way? I mean, I'm just throwing things out there. <laughs> Whatever, it's always different attempts. Do I have to try to climb my way out of this hole? Let me tell you, you can never, by any effort on your own, climb out of the hole of sin. There's nothing in us that, that Bible, Paul, would, Paul would make it very, very clear that all of us fall short. If I'm standing, we're all lined up. I've used this analogy several times, but if we're all along the Grand Canyon, and, I, and, and who in here has been to the Grand Canyon? Has anyone been to the Grand Canyon, a few of us? It's amazing, by the way. But you stand by the Grand Canyon, and I lined us all up, and I said, okay, let's see who could jump the furthest. <laughs> At the end of the day, I might be able to j- jump farther than some of you. Garland probably jumped the furthest. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the difference between the best of us and the worst of us, we're all falling short. We're all going to end up in the canyon. <laughs> you ain't jumping over that thing. Doesn't matter. Some of us may be able to do more good. Here's a, and the, here's the a big issue is that we think that, okay, I can just uh, erase my good by doing, or my bad by doing more good. If I can just jump a little bit further, I can make up for all this over here. It doesn't, it, you're always in this, this, this situation, this dilemma of falling short. And if we, light, if, we, if we don't make that very clear, then it leads us to a, a place where we don't, Real, we don't really have a desperate faith because we don't see why we need a desperate faith. That's why issues are so important. That's why it's okay to have to go through issues and have issues. It's not that we want issues. It's just that issues are opportunities for us 
to actually see that there's a, we, we need the grace of God. We need to press through. We need more than where we're at from the Lord. And it can only be found from the Lord. He falls down and says, come to my house. For he had an only daughter who was about 12 years of age and she was dying. His daughter was noted to be 12 years of age and dying of an unnamed sickness. This number 12 was notable, this age of 12 was notable because that, that is the very age that a Jewish, in the Jewish culture that they would consider this, woman, this young girl to be entering into womanhood. This was a very, and, and I believe all the writers, all the gospel writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke that record this, insert this uh, fact here that she's 12 because it's, she's, it's watch, watch how it will connect to this woman with the issue of blood who's had the, we see in the next part of the story here, where she's had this issue of blood, this flow of blood for how many years? 12 years. Let's go, let's go a little bit further. We'll connect this here. It says in verse, at the end of, uh, verse 42 going into verse 43, it says, but as he went to the multitudes, or the, as he went, the multitudes thronged him. That's a word you don't see often. They pressed up against him is what it means. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, everyone say 12, 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. She, she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now I know many of us have heard this preached in different ways over the years. But I want to just point out a few things here. The woman had this issue of blood, as it says here, for 12 years, which was the very age of Jairus' dying daughter. Now, here's the thing. So that means this, wo- this little girl, Jairus' only daughter, is 12. So the whole time that this woman, this little girl is alive, this woman is suffering with this issue of blood. This 12 years that this woman, right, and before she's hitting maturity, this is, it's just, this is where she's getting the sickness and she's going to die. Twelve years. And let me tell you that I believe the enemy wants us dead before we ever become mature enough to reproduce. The enemy wants you and I dead before we ever, because here's the thing, is that this stepping into womanhood, here's the issue of blood, the, the woman with the issue of blood, she's unable, because of her issue of blood, and many, many uh, uh, people have said it, you know, try to say it was different things, but we don't, it doesn't really, the Bible doesn't really give us uh, specifically what caused this issue. We just know that it was a flow of blood. It was constant menstrual cycle. It was something along those lines. We don't know what happened or what caused it. Some say it was a sexually transmitted disease, but we don't know. There's, the Bible doesn't give us information regarding those things. But we do know that that, that issue, because she had the issue, she's unable to reproduce. She's unable to, to produce, have children of her own. And this is the, I believe it's, there's, there's, a, there's a, some significance here between this, these 12 years this, before this woman, this young girl's entering into womanhood and maturity, and this woman who's had this inability to reproduce for 12 years. Because I believe part of it is that the enemy wants us dead before we ever become mature enough to reproduce. It says she spent all her livelihood on phys- physicians and could not be healed. And I believe, and this is the, here's, the, here's the, the tragic thing, is I believe the same thing today. You know, the world is constantly, we live in a day and age where, who in here has just seen, seen an advertisement today? 
Everybody probably seen some sort, some form of advertisement today. It's every day we are bombarded with promises, advertisements of that that say, "Pay for this, we'll give you this." You know, buy one get one free, whatever it is. I'm gonna. They're gonna, we're bombarded with promises from the world today that say that promise something, and at the end of the day, the world's gonna always promise make us promises that it can't keep, and it's always going to cost us. These, he, she went to all these physicians to look for answers. To, this world is gonna, the world we live in today advertises us to say, and says, I'm going to give you answers for your problems. If you want an answer for your problem, you want to you get out of debt, you want to do this, you want to do that. I mean, it's all these, like, human methods to try to solve our problems. And it's always going to cost us something. It says that she spent, she tried everything. The Bible, the Bible actually says that, you know, that the fact that she spent all her livelihood, it wasn't just that she spent all her money. It was that she gave all of her energy, like, towards these things. Like, all of her mind, all, all of her, every waking moment, I imagine, was consumed with how do I get out of this, this issue? How do I get out of this issue? So it wasn't just that her body was in discomfort. And it was not that it was just an inconvenience. It was that this was, this was uh, constantly giving her anxiety, constantly pressing on her. And this world, again, so many, people, so many times we, we go after so many of these promises that this world has, and it's always going to cost us something. At the end of the day, it's going to cost you something. She spent everything. God will dry up. I believe God will, will allow every fountain in our life to dry up until we realize that only he has the real water. He'll let us, go, just like the, he did with the children of Israel, he'll let us go drink from those broken cisterns until we realize they're broken. Until they're, they're, they're not all what this, it's not all what it was meant to be. It's not all what it, the, it was promised to be. Jesus, we know Jesus in John chapter 4 meets with the woman at the well and, you know, gives that whole analogy of I'm the, I'm, you're looking for real water, I, I'm going to give you the real water. I have the, I have the living water that leads to eternal life. After, you know, and we don't have time to go into that story. But, that, again, this idea that God, I read Isaiah 55. I, I, I've been thinking about that script, that passage. Isaiah 55 is this, this promise, this come to me, this whole promise of coming to me, all who are thirsty. I will give you, come without money. He says, don't come. It's not going to cost you money. It's not going to cost you this or that. Come to me. The only requirement, here's, a, here's the only requirement that God, God gives us. It's not money. It's thirst. He says, come to me all who are thirsty. It's not, it's not, it's not that I would come to him with some kind of substance in and of myself. It's just simply that I would realize my lack. I'm poor in spirit. That I ha- I have a need. I'm an, I'm an empty. I'm I'm in need of His Spirit. I'm lacking. I'm lacking what's real. Has anyone ever uh, Has anyone ever uh, gotten injured before? Where I, I could. Pastor Jim can come up here and just like tell us all like stories for the rest of the time here. I know you you got you've done so many things. 
Have you ever gotten injured to a point and, and you thought that it wasn't so bad and you just you just put like maybe put a band-aid on it? And it was it was not it was not like it didn't it needed more than a band-aid. Like, oh I'll just shake it off. Like that was that was a ba- that was a football basketball term we used in sports growing up. Yeah, shake it off. Shake it off. As a coach would always say, shake it off. You're good. My knee, my kneecap is on this side of my leg. <laughs> shake it off. I, I remember my eighth grade year, I was a, I, last time I ever ran track, the first time and last time, eighth, eighth grade, I was running track. I think actually it was seventh grade. Seventh grade, first time and last time I ever ran track. I, it was our first track meet. And I remember, like, I was in, like, all these, like, sprinting events. I was in, like, I don't remember, the 100 the long jump, the 100-meter dash, the mile relay, the sprint relay. I was in all those things. And I remember, like, the, 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 the day before, I, d- I'd done, I did something in practice to my knee. Like, it was hurting. I was like, Coach, I don't know if I could run today. And it was, like, like 40, to 40 or 30 degrees outside. So, you know, when it's cold, it's even more intense. Like, if you ever ran in the cold, I mean, props to you. Like, I, I don't know if Richard's watching her here. Or if, I know he could tell you. I don't know how he does it. But... I remember that track me, I was, like, in pain the whole time. I was like, Coach, my knee hurts. You know, he, and he just said, just go put some ice on it, go rest it between your races and this and that. I said, I don't think I can keep going. <laughs> I said, you could do it. You got it. We need you. You're walking. You're moving. You look like you're moving good. But it hurts. <laughs> and I ended up running that, that that last race was I think the mile relay. It was like for the win. Like it was like this like all everybody was like, we needed these points to win the track meet. And I remember being like, I don't remember, I actually don't remember if I was the first or last leg of the relay. But I remember all the way around that the mile relay, you gotta run one time around four hundred meters. And I remember the whole time around I looked like this. <laughs> I was like looked like some kind of like yeah, Forrest Gump. You know, I look like some kind of diseased llama or something. I was, I had some issues running. And I, and I remember my, back in those days, my parents were always excited about, like, everything you did, right? I was their oldest. They were like, oh, we got to film it. So it's on film. It's on film somewhere. It's terrible. But I was, we ended up winning, and it was just like I was in pain. And I ended up going to the doctor the next day, and I had a cracked kneecap. <laughs> And I had to be in, a, like, an immobilized leg thing for, like, I don't remember, like, six weeks, two months, something like that. And I remember I was, like, the, like, <laughs> I know the coach felt terrible. <laughs> but he wanted to just, like, take it. My, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. I, I, I could, you know, I could probably go on about different things like that. But my point is, is that there, I believe there is, that here's a, here's a big issue that I feel like is in our life today as, as Christians, and it's been, for example, in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah would say something in uh, Je- Jeremiah chapter 8. I just want to read it real quick so I don't misquote it. Jeremiah would say things like, uh, my people, he, and he's speaking against, he was speaking against uh, false prophets and false proclaimers, false teachers. And he would say things like in chapter 8, verse 11 of Jeremiah, he would say things like, Pull it up here. For they have healed the hurt of my daughter, of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Like this was the word of God in Jeremiah that he was proclaiming against the false proclaimers in his day. 
He's saying, my, you're dressing the wound of my people and the hurt of my people as though it were not a big deal. Like you're putting a Band-Aid on something that needs to be like, you need to get surgery on that thing. And one of the biggest false messages that are out in the world today is this message of false peace and false problem, false, uh, a false gospel that promises an answer and promises a peace, promises a peace that doesn't fully deal with the issue. It's a peace that's outside of Jesus, peace that's outside of him alone. And it's only a Band-Aid to the real issue. And I, and I, and I, I want to just say that I know many of us have, felt, have been through cycles in our life, of, of cycles of victory and cycles of defeat. And you, maybe you've, you've repeated certain bad cycles in your life. And my, my question for you and my question for my own life is, have I dressed that wound as though it were not serious? Have I just put a Band-Aid on an issue just to cover it up? Like this woman with this issue of blood for so long. Here's, here's the thing about her issue is that Leviticus 15 outlines what happens when a woman has this kind of an issue, that she was termed unclean, that anything she touched, the bed she slept on was unclean. If she touched somebody, they were unclean. So it wasn't just that she was in discomfort because of the physical ailment of bleeding constantly. I'm sure that was part of it. It was, it's that she was constantly labeled in wrestling with the fact that she was unclean. And it was this private issue. I can't, who wants to tell people I'm have, I have this issue? And so the more we cover up our issue, the more we just try to treat it lightly and we don't actually deal with it at its root, the more it's just going to keep, it's like, a, it's like a, a tree that's producing bad fruit. You're just, you, you need to really cut it out at the roots and remove the tree, but really you're just trying to prune it. You're just trying to maintain it. Let me tell you the gospel of the Bible. I believe the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is a gospel. It's not, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that you, hey, come and let's figure out how to cope with your, your sin. That's not good news to me. If I have to just, if I just have to try to figure out, okay, how do I blend in? How do I come to church, be around other people who I, in my mind are like, they're righteous people. I got to be, I got to hide my issues. I had to conceal my problems. I got to cover it up, and and I, you know, you just come to you come to this this place together. Well, when are we going to get to the point of maturity? When are we going to get to the place where we're going to say, okay, God, this issue is real. I'm going to call it for what it is, and I need to get it. And rather than concealing it and hiding it, why can't I get it out in the open now? And because until it's out in the light, it can't. I don't believe it can be healed. Until you get it out, I believe this is why there's power in confessing our sins. When you confess your sins, when you call upon the name, when you confess with your mouth, when you agree that this is, this is killing me, this is harmful, this is, this is an issue in my life. I can't dress, I can't just put a Band-Aid on it. What am I doing to my children even? Again, this, family, this is family time, guys. What am I doing when I, when, with my children if I, I don't actually deal with real issues and, you know, confront real issues? If I just try to put Band-Aids on things because I don't want to deal with it? I might, I might have the illusion of peace for a little while, but at the end of the day, that, that issue is going to surface sooner or later. I can't waste my time 
trying to wait for the bad fruit to come out, dealing with, the problem is I'm, we're, we, we keep trying to deal with fruit issues in the church when we, we really need to deal with root issues. I need to deal with, we're, 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 we're calling, this is wrong, this is bad fruit, this is good fruit. The issue is not just looking at, pointing out the fruit, it's getting into the root. It's getting underneath the surface because roots are underneath. You don't, nobody sees your roots. Uh, who, I've had a, an issue in our, we're on our land with oak wilt. I don't know if anybody's ever had an oak wilt issue before. It's terrible. I, I don't, it's just sad to see a good tree get hit with oak wilt. And the main way, after, you know, it, it gets into those, those roots. Once it gets, those, gets into those roots, you can't, it's just, the tree's going to die. It's just, there's ways you can treat it. You know, I have a friend who's in the tree business and all these things, but he just tell me just that the, the, it's terrible. It's sad. A lot of times it happens, you know, the trees gets, you know, part, part, of, it, part of the tree gets knocked off from something, and then you know the, the, the beetle comes and spreads it. But the main issue is not just what you see above the surface. The main issue is in the roots. It's in the roots. Jay Iris, is, or, or this woman here, she had no rest because everyone and everything she touched would be unclean. She, she, she would have been conditioned by her issue to, have, to behave accordingly as one who was constantly stained and soiled. Like she was con- conditioned by, because she's had this issue for 12 years, she's conditioned to behave a certain way around people. If you've ever been to, like, if you've ever studied animals too, if you've been to the zoo, you know, you see an animal, you know, a lot of times, you, I, you know, I, you see an animal who's been in captivity for so long, they, that's why it's, they have a hard time if they've ever tried to free an animal, bring an animal back into the wild. It's very difficult for the animal to, to adjust because it's all it's known for many years is captivity. And sometimes you and I have known captivity in our issue. We've, we've been so conditioned by our issue that when God finally says, I'm setting you free, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The issue is not that you're, you've been delivered. The issue is still that you're still holding on to your broken chains. That you're still saying, I, you're, still, you're so used to, it's your thinking. It's in your mind. My, I've been, my chains are not, I'm not even, you're not even wearing chains anymore. Why are you still staying there? Because in your mind, you're still a captive. In your mind, you're still this woman with the issue of blood. In your mind, you still have this issue. You're still what your, your condition was, what people conditioned you to be, what your world, what your sin conditioned you to be. Her issue led her to the point where she had to push through it all. For many of us, it is not a matter. Here's the thing is that the other writers would say, she made it, she said it in her mind, if I, if I could just, if maybe I, I could Touch the hem of his garment. You know, if, may I just pray, pray, press through it all. I'm just paraphrasing. If I could just get through it, through it. And here's the thing. For us, for many of us, it's not an issue of if you could press through it. It's if you would press through it. It's not an issue of if, if it's not about your ability. It's your willingness. <laughs> the problem that with, that with this woman with this issue of blood the issue was not distance, but resistance. She was right next to Jesus. Many of them, many of those, as, as it says, as Peter, Peter would actually exclaim, 
Because it says that she came behind and touched him. And it says she, he said, who touched me? And also, too, I want you to note that anytime God, anytime Jesus asks a question, it's not because he needs to know, that he, he doesn't know the answer. God asks questions because we need to know the answer. Where are you, Adam? In the Garden of Eden. Where are you, Adam? <laughs> like, like, like God lost Adam. The all-knowing God. Where are you, dude? Where'd you go? No, it's not that God lost Adam. It's that Adam lost Adam. And so that question needed to be resounded into Adam's spirit, like, because that's what sin does, is it causes us to, it causes us to forget who we are. Adam didn't know where Adam was or where we are or who we are because of sin. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So she presses, she presses through. How many of us, and we've heard this said, how many of us crowd around Jesus but never touch him? She had to be willing enough to risk, to, to risk bringing her private issue into the light, trusting in Jesus alone. She had, she had remember, what, what, here's a problem about being her issue. It wasn't that she, she was desperate because she was in pain and she needed healing. She was, she was also struggling with the, this, this social aspect and this emotional aspect of being unclean. And by touching Jesus, here's, hear this, by touching Jesus, by Levitical law, she was going to be making Jesus unclean too. And so she had to have enough faith to trust that what was in Jesus was greater than this uncleanness that she was dealing with. Because here's the thing, here's what keeps you and I away from, from deeper things in God. It's that if I actually think I can bring, go further in God, we, we, we put all these requirements in our mind. I'm not, we disqualify ourselves. Like I can't, God, you can't. I don't want I don't want to I don't want to be used by you because I don't want to ruin your name. I've I've worried that before in my life as a Christian. God, I don't want to be up here speaking and teaching and singing and leading and serving. I don't want to be in anything public because I don't want I don't want to I don't want to risk tainting your name. Because I'm unclean. I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to do things right. But somewhere in us, we have to have enough faith that reaches through, even though, even though we, even through our, our our unqualifications, even through our weariness and our weakness, even through our shame and our brokenness, even through this the fact that we we've been unclean, we need to have greater faith in the power that the power that is in Christ alone is greater than that sin and uncleanness that that dwells in me, that sin that's in my life. Because what happens is she touches Jesus, Jesus. It says, somebody touched me, I perceived power went out from me. And women saw that she was not hidden, came trembling and falling down before him. Because she realized, like, like she realized she's been healed. But she's also realized that, like, what if I, like, now it's exposed. Now it's in the open. But here's the thing. She declared to him in the presence of all the people. Everyone say, all the people. The reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. So the healing had already took place in her, but there's something about her confession of it. 
that she had to be public about it. Because sometimes public confession, it's not about you knowing about it and you seeing it and you seeing my, my stuff and you worrying about it. It's about me and my private issues being brought into the light to where it's not going to hold me anymore. Let me tell you, there's deliverance when you confess things. You get it out in the open. I'm not saying you got to shout it out in a big room or like, like this situation. I'm saying get it out in the open. Get it before the Lord, but also get someone that you trust in the Lord and just bring these things out to them. And trust that there, there is redemption, there's power when you get it out in the open. Like when you're trying to kill, like, you know, Emily's trying to kill a bug earlier. You know, she's a, she's a bug killer. She sees it. You know, my wife too. If my wife sees any kind of insect, like it could be a little speck on the wall. It's, it's, it's dead. It's dead three times over. I'm the one that's like trying to like get it on a stick and like let it out the window. And <laughs> it's called mercy, Emily. It's mercy. <laughs> yeah, take dominion. So, but my, I don't know where I was going with that now. Got me all distracted. No, where I was going with it was, my point is, is that, like, when, you, when you're wanting to kill something like that, when, you, when you're, you are that, like, bug murderer, like my wife or somebody, I'm just kidding. That's okay. Kill bugs. They're good. They're, they're not good. Whatever. <laughs> you want to get it out. You have to get it out in the open. Like, that's, that's how you can deal with it. It has to be out in the open. Like, it's, even, it's, it's, so, it's even more terrifying when you can't see where it went. Like it's under something. Like you know you saw it, but now it's under something. Now you like you can't sleep at night because you know that went under the you went under the shelf or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it has to be brought out in the open so it can get dealt with. And so the same thing with our life in God. I I I know there are things in my life as I go as I grow that I just my nature is to cover it up. Just like Adam and Eve, immediately they had to try to figured out how to cover themselves up as soon as they were exposed. Instead of actually bringing it out, and this is, the, this is the faith aspect of it, is it's reaching and trusting that my private issue, that his power is greater than my private issue. That I, If I get it out in the open, I'm agreeing with God that this, this does not belong in me. This is not who I am. This is not who I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be. So then she goes, and then the, the, the power, most powerful statement is that in verse 48, it says, he said to her, daughter. Everyone say daughter. Her uncleanness touches him. And his response is, he calls her daughter. Like, this, is, this was not just like a common phrase at the time. I mean, that you would just call some stranger who touched you in the public, Daughter. But this was just a this was a term to really because she's she's all vulnerable right now, right? She just outed herself. She just said, "I was I was I had this issue for twelve years. I, this is exposed. Now I'm healed." It's at that moment that God God says, "I, I want to take where where you're where you're the most vulnerable. I want to give you something to stand on, and it's that you're my daughter. It's not just that you're a daughter. You're my daughter. He meaning he takes ownership." over you, over your uncleanness. 
Like, he, he owns that. He says, I, he says where, they, where, you, where you're embarrassed and you feel the shame of it, he says, I'm going to own that for you. I, I want you just to hear that, like how this would make her feel. Because I believe it gives us courage and have to have faith. for, Because what, what his response is, be of good cheer. Do not be afraid, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It wasn't just because Jesus had some magical clothing on. It wasn't that, nothing about his garment. It was like, you know, that, that, there's something special about that hem of his garment. It's because it's, it's, first off, it's Jesus. Second off, it was her faith. It was, this, it was it's simply her faith. He says it wasn't because I have some kind of special clothing on. It's because you had something in you that reached past the outer court, that reached, reached past your fear of your un, being unclean and your embarrassment and your shame. You touched something genuine in me. It's that, that's what catches the attention of God. And it's, sometimes it's in our issues, in, our, in the moments of our life, where we need to have, this, this is the kind of faith that we have to realize he's, it's being made inside of us. It's being formed and shaped and proven on the inside of us. This is the kind of faith she's carrying. While she was still speaking, the, someone came to the ruler, Jairus, they came to him and said, your daughter is dead. Do not even trouble the teacher. Because again, again, you can't go near dead people. That was another unclean thing. Again, Jesus is, first off, he's following this woman. He's, he's dealing with this woman with this whole unclean situation. Not even, he's not intimidated by it. But then this, what happens here is this woman, or the, they say Jairus' daughter is dead. And he's not the least bit intimidated. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, too bad. He doesn't run away from, from, from the, these situations. He's not intimidated by it. He runs to it. And it says uh, he goes to the house, and everyone's weeping and, and crying and doing all this stuff. But he, he takes Peter, James, and John and the, and the father and mother of the girl. And this is also notable, too, because if you remember Peter, Peter's going to do the same thing in Acts chapter 9. When he goes, he goes to, uh, he's in a place called uh, Joppa, Lydda and Joppa, and he goes and he heals Tabitha, who was also called Dorcas. And he goes and he goes up in the upper room and he's, he does the same thing Jesus does and raises this little girl back to life. There's a reason Peter's here because here's the thing is that Jesus, Jesus wants, to, wants your faith to be strong enough for awakening, not just for your sake. He doesn't just want to strengthen your faith for that, that, that there can be an awakening in your life and in the people in, in, your, in, your, in your own redemption story, but that you can be a messenger of, of this kind of good news to the people around you, that you can carry this awakening inside you to the people. Like you, your story is not just meant to be your story. It's meant to, it's meant to, uh, Peter's, uh, Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you, fa- when you, when you come back, he says, go, go strengthen the brethren. I pray that your faith wouldn't fail in your struggle and your failure, not just, so that, not just for your sake, but that, so that you can go back and strengthen the brethren with your faith. Little girl, she tells her little girl, arise, do not weep, she's not dead, but sleeping. Because what the world call, calls dead, Jesus just says it's asleep. That's God's view. That's God's view. Sometimes, again, Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heavens 
are above the earth. My ways are higher than our ways. And the way God sees your situation is from a very different vantage point than the world's perspective of your situation. Just a final, final thoughts here because I, I just want to close with this, these final few thoughts. He's, he wakens her up from the sleep. He says they, they ridiculed her and he, he, he calls her and says, little girl, arise. Her spirit returned and she arose me immediately and commanded that she be given something to eat. Again, the, this is a recurring theme throughout with all these re, uh, resurrection moments in the, in the gospels and the stories is that every time they rise up, there's also some physical aspect of it to show like, like this, they're really alive. To show that they're really alive. Because the Gospels are, are the, for example, Jesus probably performed more in, in every instance where, where he raised someone from the dead. It's like, for example, the widow's son began to speak. Jairus' daughter walked and ate food. Lazarus was loosed from his grave clothes. And when a, and a lost sinner, here's the thing, when a lost sinner is raised from the dead, you can tell that it's so by his speech, his walk, his appetite, and his change of clothes. You know someone's raised a life by the way he's talking, by, the way, by his appetite. Is he, is he hungry or she, he or she hungry for the things of God? Is he, is he walking and in, 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 in standing in the righteousness that's been given to him? You cannot hide someone who's truly alive. It's our task, so he gives her something to eat. And it's our task, I believe it's our task as Christians, as the church. Because I want to have, have a faith, again, for an awakening. And not just... You know, in my life, that God can raise up. Because I believe the daughter represented here, the, there's two, two daughters in this story, in this, in this account. The daughters represent, I believe, the, the bride of Christ, the church of the living God. That we would come into maturity so that we can be reproductive. That we would actually come into the place of maturity as, as, a, as, a, as a both individual believer but as a corporate body of believers so that we can reproduce. And that not only for my own, again, not only individually, but that I would contend for it. I want to contend for an awakening in the church today because here's the thing is that the church today, maybe the world says, hey, the church is dead and gone. But maybe G I believe Jesus said the, the church may seem dead, but the church is only asleep. And there needs to be a people, because here's, what happened was, uh, uh, this woman with the issue of blood, it was her own personal faith that reached out. But this daughter, Jairus' daughter, it was, not, it was not just her personal faith, it was her father's faith that raised her, from, that, that raised her up. Hear that, hear, hear that. I, I, it's my, I have a personal faith for awakening, but here's the thing, I, your faith can contend for the, to raise up the, the daughters and the sons behind you. Like it's, that, that's the power of this story here is that this, this, this daughter didn't, she didn't have any, she was already sick and dying. But she had a father and a mother, presumably. She was in the room with them. That was contending and fighting in faith for the daughter to be raised up. You guys can stand. Amen. I want to just, I'm praying that this, 
would stir us even tonight and even as we leave. Because I'm, I'm, again, I'm believing for an awakening, not just in my own home. I've been praying, you know, the last few weeks we've been teaching a little bit about the home and the families and contending and fighting for our families. But I'm, I'm just having a, I just want to, I just want my faith to, again, not, not that I, I want issues in my life. But I, I want to, I don't want to let my issues just keep me bound and keep me hidden and keep me in private. Keep me, to keep things concealed. I want my issues to propel me into desperation. To propel me into a faith that reaches through and presses on for awakening. A, a faith that says I, that God is still in the earth today. And it's not, it's not about him. He doesn't just want a gospel that's proclaimed that's just saying, hey, guys, just come to church, clap your hands, and you just, you feel better. You just feel better. I don't want to go to church just to feel better. I want to see the lost saved. I want to see the lame man healed and the blind eyes open. I want to see the broken marriages brought back together. I want to see children raised up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I want to see the power of God, not just because I, it's, it's a cute, pretty thing. No, because we want glory for ourselves. No, because this is what the world needs. We can't no longer dress the world, dress the, the hurt that we see in the world and that we see on ourselves like it just needs a Band-Aid. We need an awakening. Father, I ask you and I thank you for your word. And I want to just pray for everyone in here. God, I ask, Lord, where, they, where there's things in their life, God, that they may be having issues with even now. God, where they, there's private issues, God, that they have yet to be brought out, have yet to be brought to before your altar, brought to the cross. God, I pray that you would give us courage. Give them the courage to, to, to confess, to give in, to say yes to the grace and the power, to trust, Lord, that you have the power to make it right. You have the power, Lord, to forgive even the, the, the darkest and the most painful and the most shameful things. God, you have the power even in this place tonight, Jesus. God, that we would take where the Bible, as Colossians says, there was a handwriting of requirements against us. But the Bible says you have nailed it to the cross, Lord, that it's been nailed. The things that were, were, were against us, God, in you we can be set free fully. We don't have to carry those chains anymore. We don't have to carry that old way anymore. God, I pray, Lord, that we would walk according to this new man. We would rise up. God, that we would come into maturity, that we would be able to reproduce in grace and faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.